0: Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. Oh my God, we're getting good at this, starting to be consistent again. Kind of like <laughs> the way West Ham United are playing. Once again, I'm your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, joined by the dulcet, lovely tones of the one and only, the man who brightens your life, Liam
1: Bright. Liam, how are you this evening? Hey, 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 I'm doing great. <laughs> it's grand to be back. Uh, you know, just some more uh, more excitement, some more news, some more recaps. You know, all the things that everybody loves to hear. I'm not going to lie. Um, I had a
0: total fat Albert cl- uh, flashback there. Absolutely loved it. Uh, thank you. But, thank you. But obviously, we're coming off uh, kind of a, a a high and a low. Uh, West Ham United um, didn't look like we were going to be able to get many points. We're all feeling pretty bad. I... I crapped on the team after the Arsenal game saying we shouldn't be uh, looking for moral victories in that 2-1 loss, and we came out against Wolves. Mind you, Liam, we have never beaten them since they've gotten promoted. Yeah, We come out in that game, Liam... And we put a four-goal burger on their ass, and it was absolutely beautiful. Jared Bowen, the man who I've kind of – I'll be real. I shit on him a couple of times. You know, I've been calling for Yarmo, and he apparently he listened to the show and said, fuck you, and he scored two goals, was incredibly dynamic going down that right side, loved everything that he did. Um, beautiful performance from West Ham. Thomas Suchek should have got a goal, ended up being an own goal off Raul Jimenez, which made me happy because anytime a Mexican player has to deal with some bullshit as an American fan, that's our rival. We love it when the Mexicans <laughs> are tripping and falling all over themselves on the soccer pitch. And also we got another late goal from Sebastian Allaire after he came on and it was a nice one. Notably, I want to point out that he did not celebrate that goal. Um, We're going to get into that, but you got to look at that match and you got to go, we didn't expect anything out of that game. We were hoping for a point, hoping. And we came away with three in a dominant performance. And Nuno, the man who refuses to wear a fucking tie, when you go have a little respect for the club that you uh, coach for and coming into our stadium, you're in the capital, brother. It's London. Wear a tie. Look like a gentleman. Don't be one of those dirty Wolverhampton people. And if you're from Wolverhampton, I want you to know I meant everything I just said.
1: There you go. Well, and it's it's interesting because not only do we drop a four, bra- a four bomb on them, but we also walk away with the clean sheet, which is – a rarity <laughs> these days for for West Ham United but i agree i think that we were absolutely dominant against the uh, portuguese national team i thought we did a phenomenal job uh really pinning them back in their in their own Uh, Final third, especially when it came to the counterattack, I thought that uh, Wolves midfield looked uh, listless. I thought their attack did not look dynamic as it usually does. Uh, I don't know if it was just Wolves having an off night or if it was just us being completely tuned in. And honestly, not just being a West Ham supporter, but also just, you know, an objective look at that game. We had that game well in hand pretty much from the get-go. There was not a point in time, and this is odd to say because we're kind of used to be waiting for the other shoe to drop, but there really wasn't a point in time where I thought that Wolves really looked like they were going to take control of the game. Any time that they did have a breakaway, I, I know Jimenez and... Uh, uh, What's it? Neto, Neto. Um, also had a shot on goal that looked like there was potential behind it, but it really didn't test Fabianski all that much. I really think that all in all, you know, everything from Masuaku, Bowen, and Antonio all beasting their way in the attack. Uh, for Nals, you know, while being sloppy at times, and you and I talked about this at uh at halftime. Uh, he actually has an incredible work rate. So even if he's not always producing at the same levels of the other three gentlemen that I that I named, you know that he's going out there with hundred percent heart I mean just look on his face uh you know he misses the the shot on that second Bowen goal bounces off the post easy tapping for Bowen some strikers or you know uh, attackers would look at that as oh man that should have been my goal but he's just pleased as fuck that Bowen was able to get that get that tapping because ultimately he just wants to see their team do well. Um, I thought that Cresswell has shown that he's great when he can just stay back and really only deliver on set pieces or when he's needed to kind of reinforce that attack, but where it doesn't become contingent on him moving forward for the attack to be successful. Uh, Rice was fantastic as captain, uh, captain for the team. His partnership with Suchek in the middle of the park was dynamic and balanced throughout the entirety of the match. I just don't think that Wolves had an answer. And it almost got to the point where... For this match, I didn't even think we really needed to make subs. I didn't think that anybody, barring maybe Fournals, wasn't producing on the pitch. I think everybody else did a fantastic job.
0: I... I i got to give you a shout. Cresswell, you're 100% correct on. When he can just focus on defense and pick and choose his spots to go forward, he tends to be a much better player for West Ham United. For some reason, when he goes forward, which I want to make it clear, I think he is a great player going forward. I think he does a phenomenal job when he chooses to, but I think there's not a sense of urgency for him to get back. So when he limit what's on his plate, he tends to do better there. I thought we bossed that game from beginning to end. I absolutely loved everything that we did. Um, And I'm going to say something right now. COVID-19 has absolutely screwed the world. It's hurt the economy everywhere and is a horrible thing. And we should absolutely mind the protocols and be smart, wear your mask, protect others. And I get it. But I have to admit, I think COVID-19 has greatly helped West Ham United in this <laughs> sense. Okay. Um, Issa, Diop, Issa Diop going out. and David Moyes not being on the bench. Um, and Josh Cullen, I, I, that's the only one I, I don't like Josh Cullen, not being there who I think needs to get a run in the team. I think he is a very, very talented player that I would love to see what he can do. I think he is the, um, I don't think Declan Rice is the true replacement of Mark Noble. I think it's Josh Cullen, uh, Josh Cullen, yeah. another East end boy. I would love to see him get a run in the team and kind of see what he can do every time he's gone on loan. I think he won player of the year for one of the clubs. He went out on loan. For which was incredible. Um, but West Ham have benefited greatly from these guys being out in COVID because having to run that three in the back against the team that is the best in the Premier League at running three in the black, uh, black, excuse me, three in the back (laughs) and Wolves was absolutely incredible to watch. It was phenomenal. Um, we outclassed them in every part of the game. They had a couple of chances, like you said, but we had the better of the ball. We bossed the midfield. Our attackers looked more dangerous. We had the better of the chances, and we defended well. That's my favorite part. We defended well with three in the back, and I was greatly impressed. The The two things that have happened that have made a massive difference for West Ham United just in the way we feel on the pitch Putting Arthur Masawaku in in a forward-thinking role has been absolutely incredible because he can take players on and he can run it, guys, and he's the guy that will take the ball and and make a couple guys miss and can put in a pass, and I absolutely love what he does. But that move and David Moyes getting COVID and not having to be there at the actual facility, in my opinion, are the two great things. Now, I don't want anything bad to happen to David Moyes. I hope he recovers well. And I hope we actually do see him back on the pitch. But what I don't want to do is I want him to cover his face because he looks like a draw. And I also (laughs) want him to stick with what's working. This is working right now. Wolves are a team that everybody said is going to be challenging for Champions League football. We all said it, Liam, and we beat them 4-0. And we're supposed to be fighting relegation. So this situation, Liam, this team, without question, has to remain in what they are at this moment because it's working. I mean, are you in agreement here? Do you like that three back formation? I think it fits what we are. I think we finally found the formation with this group of players we need to be
1: in. A hundred percent, because we don't have someone like a Virgil Van Dyke sitting back there as a center back, right? I mean, this is no insult to Angelo Ogbana, because I think he's actually a, a very accomplished, seasoned veteran when it comes to holding down, uh, you know, that that fullback position. But there is a, or sorry, the halfback position. But there is a a difficulty with Diop, right, where he's not always been consistent. Uh, Balbuena, I think, struggled a lot last season, uh, but he seems to have overcome a lot of that, uh, you know, just in these, these last couple outings that we've seen for him. So I do think that having the three center backs with Cresswell on that left-hand side has been uh, incredibly supportive for that back line. And then having it so you have the fullbacks, uh, to, to drop back and help, right? So if you've got Fredericks as a wing back and then Masawaku as a wing back, which we've all said for years that a left back position was not a proper fit for him. Because if you're going to have your overlapping fullbacks, you need to have center backs and a defensive midfielder that can drop back to really protect that 18 yard box. And we just never really had that. We didn't have center backs with pace, we didn't have center backs that were dynamic in the air. And now I think we have that. I think we have a little bit more consistency in that back line. And this allows us to be able to throw numbers forward and clutter up the midfield, which I think we have statistically struggled Year over year, because yes, you have somebody like Mark Noble who can be a bulldog in the middle of the park, but let's be honest, his legs are getting a little bit more tired. He doesn't, he was never really a pacey guy, but you can very much see that the pace has moved past him at this point. Declan Rice can be very quick, that's great, but I think sometimes they're too much of a redundancy in a player, whereas I think Suchek and Rice do really well with balancing, where if one of them moves forward, the other one drops back. If one of them is cutting to the left, the other one covers the center of the park. So we're never fully left exposed. And let's be honest, man, Suchek just slid right into the first team with no issue. Same thing with Bowen. These guys just immediately made an impact where we needed them to make an impact. And for so far for this season, we have Antonio continuing his form from the end of last season, and we've got Masuaku finally put in a position where he can succeed. I think now it's just getting those other little minute pieces to fire on all cylinders, as we were talking about before with Fornals. I don't know if he's still just needs time to develop into the role, or maybe he's just not a winger, and we need to put him more towards the, the central midfield uh, role, which people keep saying he would be more successful. In which case, if you look at that, maybe you do go with... Um, you know, like a a, a a what would it be? A five three two. Right where you've got the you know the wing backs the center backs and that back line for the five, the three in the midfield would be your Declan Rice and your Suchek as your double pivot, and then in between them a little bit more advanced is going to be Fornells, and then you've got Bowen and Antonio as two set of strikers because remember Bowen was able to play as a winger or as a striker for Hull, so I think that would give you a little bit more of that dynamic attack, um, just because I don't fully believe that Allaire is quite consistent enough to, to get first team minutes. I think, I don't think he's a starter yet. Oh, you're making faces Tex. So come on, lay it on me.
0: All right. Look, I've got to, I got to say this. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I don't agree on Fornells. I think Fornells is not good enough. Um, I understand that he's a reason we got that opening goal because he kept the ball in play, but let's be honest that's just you know a guy trying to keep the play going, and the ref didn't stop it. I don't give him a lot of credit for that. Um, I was wrong on Bowen um, because Bowen has proven time and time again that he is a he's got a lot of class in in that left foot. Um, he's an incredibly pacey player. I don't think we've seen a lot of consistency in him. But again, when you just get thrust into a new league and it's a different class of player, and you're going up against uh, left backs that are as fast as you, are as physical as you, and they're not championship level, I think to take some time to adjust. But I was wrong on him. I I still don't understand why Fornell's even plays. I, I have to admit that. I don't get it. I don't understand why he's there. Sebastian Haller, however, I think he's in good form, and I think he's playing well, and I think he deserves a run in the first team. The problem is, who do you take out? And you can't take you can't take Antonio off. What has Antonio done to, to lose his spot? Antonio right. is a big part of the reason that Bowen gets the space he gets. He's a big part of that reason. So I don't quite understand um, what we're gonna do with Sebastian Alaire. And especially now that you're running this, you know, you're packing out the midfield with wing backs, and you're kind of running, in theory, a, a three, five, two. Or, whatever you want to call it, where you have Bowen kind of playing off of Antonio. Um, it's such an interesting problem that we have. But I think Sebastian Lair, and I, I'm going to go ahead and point out, he scores that goal in the game. And yes, he came in late, but he doesn't celebrate it. And that tells. No, no. no. And anytime you see something like that, the last time I remember seeing that was Dimitri Payet. And when Dimitri Payet scored a goal and didn't celebrate it, I knew that, you know, his days were numbered. And I think Sebastian Allaire may be on his way out. He may not be. I'm sure he's told his agent, get me the fuck out of here, because he can't. He is probably every day at training looking at Mikel Antonio going, I am better than him, which I think is as a center forward, it's probably a true statement. But Antonio's the better player. Well, I'm not saying but as a true center forward, I think Sebastian Lair is probably the more talented center forward, but I'd rather have Antonio on the pitch. So it's troubling right there. And when you have a young, hungry guy that wants to prove something, give him a run. Give him 20 minutes in a game instead of three, David Moyes. Yeah, give, him yeah. a, give him an opportunity to go out there because having two guys battling for that starting striker spot is only going to help us.
1: And it's tough too, right? Because you're looking at a 45 million pound striker that is coming in, as you said, for like three minutes and then just playing full term in cup games. But I think that is that is part of my issue, let's say, with, with Allaire. And I don't want people to think that I don't think that he's a great player because I absolutely think that he is. But you look at the times where he's been successful, right? In the cup games where it's lower lower level, lower league teams, where obviously he can be dominant against those types of center backs because they're not Premier League caliber center backs. And then you look at this goal that he scored against Wolves where people kept going like, "Oh yeah, look, see he scores if you give him service." Yeah, that's most center forwards, man. Like you give Andy Carroll service and he's going to score. You don't put the ball to Andy Carroll's head or to the point where he can bicycle kick it in. Then yeah, it's the striker's not going to score if you don't get him the fucking ball. Like that's that's not, you know, that's not genius level tactics there. That's just you know football 101 and i think that that's kind of my my issue with the the formation that we play and the style of players that we have on this team i i think for now's or sorry i think elayer is a wonderful player i just don't think this is the team because i think you look at someone like antonio and what he's able to do with the ball whether he drifts out to the wing or he stays center forward i mean look at that second goal right he he takes the ball drives in to the left hand side of the 18 yard box realizes that he doesn't have a good shot on goal. He's got two men coming up on him. So he lays the ball across the entirety of the 18-yard box. It's a long pass to get to Fornals, who Fornals takes the shot, puts a little bit too much of his foot on it, bounces off the post, Bowen gets the goal, right? So that's two assists for Fornals, even though the second one wasn't intentional. But the secondary assist comes from Antonio, Alaire doesn't usually get that. The last time I could think of Alaire getting that was the what, the end of last season when he did kind of that chip shot over the defense and gave Antonio the run on. So Antonio was able to score score the goal. So yeah, there, there's been rarities where Alaire has played provider, but I think for Antonio to be successful, sometimes he creates his own luck, right? Like we've heard that as a saying, you create your own luck. I just don't think Alaire does that. And I think that someone like Bowen does. I think someone like Fornals even does like, yeah, I'd say he's more mistake prone, but if he is going to get one or two assists in a game, I'll give him the couple of bad passes or the inability to, to see the feed through, right. To, to miss the, the key pass on some of the other instances. If it means that Bowen's going to put in two, right. Or, um, he's going to feed Antonio. The, uh, what was it? The, the fourth goal is actually, I I would credit that more to Declan because Declan drives up um, he actually moves into space, even though typically he hangs back. He lays the ball off for Masuaku, who then does the, the cross where uh, um, Allaire is able to put it in the back of the net. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think we have to drastically change our tactics if we're going to make it so Alaire works in this system. That's the, I think that would be my takeaway.
0: And I, I, as shocking as it is, I think I have to agree with you there, Liam, just because I don't know if I want to change the tactics. I like what we're doing. And to prove your point further, we had a cup match this week and we (laughs) got to see a different formation. And Sebastian Haller did start and West Ham United had to run into a very, very hot Everton team. Who's gotten nine points in three games. They've been undefeated. They've been dominating. Dominique Calvert-Lewin has just been, I mean, he's been scoring goals for absolute fun and we get out there, and wouldn't you know, West Ham United run into the buzzsaw that is Everton and the Toffees. We go down 4-1. We give up a hat trick to Dominique Calvert-Lewin. We do have one absolutely beautiful goal from Robert oh, Snodgrass. Man. And it, it, at the time it came, you know, you're going, okay, game on, because it equalized the game. But then it just didn't matter. Everton is just – they're just too talented. They're just too good in the midfield. Um James Rodriguez, don't be shocked if he wins Premier League Player of the Year for what he's doing. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, he Fuck, is, dude.
0: He is dominant. Um, he's a player that it it slid under the radar, but I remember when uh, talking with a few friends, when I saw that come across my phone, I look and I go, watch out for Everton. They're going to be in the Champions League. He goes, why? I go. They just signed James Rodriguez. I mean, yeah. that, that guy's an incredible player that didn't get a fair shake at Real Madrid, um, was kind of flown on the radar at Bayern Munich, but was very good with them. And now he's in the Premier League and the world is going to find out what he can do again, like we did in that World Cup for Colombia. fourteen yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a 4-1 loss, um, very dominant performance. We're clearly the best team in all phases of the game against Wolves. It was nice to get a clean sheet in that game. Um, We go with our cup lineup, which had been dominating games. They'd scored nine goals in two games and only conceded one. They were playing very well Um, and they go down. And I know that all West Ham fans would love a cup cup run. But I think the reality situation is we ran into a better team. I, I don't think that we should feel bad for the way that we played. We just ran into a team that was clearly on form and a striker that just everything he touches right now is going in the net. He even had a goal disallowed. He should have had four. And you yeah. know, it's uh it's absolutely incredible what we saw from Everton in that game. But tell me this, what what did you think of that performance in the cup game?
1: So it it is kind of tough, right? Because you're looking at Calvert Lewis, that's back-to-back hat hat tricks, right? Because he had just gotten a hat trick against what was it, West Brom, you know, a couple of days before in uh, you know, in in the regular league games. And really my takeaway on this Everton game, because yeah, it is tough when you're running, running up against a team that has been on form, has had a couple of really good signings. They seem to be firing on all cylinders. But I would have said that against Wolves. You know, that that's that's a team that typically does perform at a very high level. And what we were able to do with Wolves, I really thought we were going to be a bit more competitive, uh, at least in the final third. I think what we did have some good chances. I think that we had some bad luck that didn't quite go our way. Um, but really the takeaways are that Noble and Snotty cannot play as the double pivot in that midfield. I mean, you're you're absolutely putting in two guys that do not move with pace. Uh, that both of them, I mean, luckily there were no yellow cards issued to them in in, in the League Cup. There was actually no yellow cards at all in in that game against Everton. Uh, But, I mean, here are two guys that typically I feel like have a lot more bite, and I just feel like they got overran uh, pretty much in the entirety of this game. Uh, Yarmo was fairly ineffective on that right-hand side, and I actually expected him to be traded off at halftime uh, to be able to bring Bowen on to give us a little bit more pace to try to pin back Richarlson. Because I think that that was where we were losing a lot of the battles with his ability to move forward. Um, ben Johnson, man, I, and I was super critical of him on Twitter. He continued to hold the ball just too long, multiple occasions where he could have provided service to either Yarmo or Hilaire, and he just didn't. He would always hold the ball like one or two dribbles too much and then we get dispossessed or he would go to put the cross in and it would get blocked because he he it's like he's waiting for something else to happen that's just never going to happen and that's one of the things i think that fredericks is really good at reading where he just barrels down quick beats his man with the pace and then whips in that cross sometimes it's good sometimes it goes over the you know the net and nobody's able to get to it but just ben johnson I think there's a lot of talent there. It's, he's just not there yet. I, I, I still don't think that he dispossesses uh, uh, Fredericks for the starting position. Um, Allaire and Lanzini, you know, they, they had their chances. Uh, you know, the giant whiff uh, that Lanzini had with trying to do kind of like an overhead, like a scissor kick kind of, just didn't go in. You know, Allaire had a really nice header. Um, just, I think the angle was, was not right. Um, Anderson looked tired and disinterested. On that left-hand side. And it's weird because I looked at his stats after the fact, and his stats were actually really, really good. He had good, good amounts of possession. His passing accuracy was really good. Noble ended up making more passes. But remember, Noble does a lot of back passing to the center backs and the keeper, whereas Fredri- or um, Anderson doesn't typically do that. Uh, Cresswell had a, a, a solid outing. He seemed a little bit out of sync with Anderson, when it came to knowing who was going to overlap and and when to feed that pass, I just don't think those guys have had enough game time together to really feel like they can uh, create a, a lasting partnership. Um, and really, the big thing is Declan cannot be tied down as a center back. Um, our midfield was dysfunctional; it was overran without him and Suchek. So I think if you're going to put one of them as a center back, the other one had to have been in that midfield. So I think that was a miscue. I think that Moyes didn't get the lineup on that one, and then the big talking point here, they didn't make a single sub at all. And we absolutely needed to change the formation and the tactics, especially going, once we got the, the equalizer at the beginning of that second half, that's when I would have started to make changes to be able to start pinning Everton back. And I think that we, there's the conspiracy theories, right? Where if they didn't make any subs, they didn't have to pay an appearance fee. I, I mean, yeah, we can go down, you know, the deep nine for that one, but I really think this is more of just, you know, after they started, Everton started banging in the goals, Moyes and um, Irvine were just like, you know what? It is what it is. This just wasn't going to be our game. What do you think, Tex?
0: I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with your breakdown of the game. I, I'm not going to re- repeat a bunch of it, but I, I want, here's the thing. I, I, I say, don't worry. Everton <laughs> was on fucking form. They are playing some of the best football in the world right now. They are probably, at this given moment, the best team in the Premier League. You could make that case. Could be Leicester, who we face coming up. But you're looking at this team... And I I just, I say, don't worry, relax, calm down. Okay. We got, we got beat by a team that's on form and we're still kind of figuring out who we are and we're playing our cup lineup. We don't have our number one goalkeeper in there. We're playing a bunch of guys that are struggling to get minutes in the first team. So they're, they're becoming cup players. I don't think Yarmo had the effectiveness that he did, but I think he was going um, and I think he played decent. The one guy on the pitch that I, I will take a shot at is Philippe Anderson. Yeah. Um, Philippe just looks disinterested. I don't I don't think that he can't play at this level. I just think he looks disinterested. I don't think that he really wants to be here. I think he took his payday, he's had his time in London, he's got his fill. Um, you know, I think he's experienced the East End and it's not for him. And so I think with that being said. I just don't understand why we continue to play him and we're going to have to take a loss on him. We're not going to get $40 million from him. We're not. Right. So he hasn't, he hasn't done that. Um, there's teams that will probably pay something or, hell, we can send him out on loan and have somebody cover his wages for the year. Maybe he dominates for them and then we can jack up the price. But, you know, the thing is, when I look at this game, I just say don't worry. It's Everton. I didn't think we had a great shot going into that match um I thought once we equalized I tend to agree with you but they got 2-1 within 5 minutes of that and so it was kind of a situation where I don't know what more we could have done because you can't play you know what's more important and this is the thing that you know hardcore English fans are always going to get on me for and as an American I just don't understand why people want this trophy. I I think it's kind of like getting the sixth place ribbon at the YMCA. Um, (laughs) It's the EFL cup, man. Like to me as a West Ham fan, I value two trophies and two only. That is the premier league trophy and the FA cup. If we come away with one of each, one of those, then I'm fine. This league trophy, the EFL cup, I just don't put a lot of emphasis on it. And it's not that I'm discrediting Um, that cup for anybody else. But for me, it doesn't matter. I would rather in this competition, David Moyes play all our young guys like he's done already, a few of them, and keep our best players on the bench and keep them fresh because no offense, I do not want to be in a relegation fight. And I would much rather finish 10th place with no trophies and not have to worry all year than have a deep run in the EFL Cup and be fighting relegation at the end of the season. Like, that's just my opinion.
1: Well, and it's it's tough, right? Because I think we do we have gotten to that point where it's been such a long time since we've really taken home any silverware that I think West Ham fans are fiending feeding sorry, what am I talking about here? I think they're 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 um they're excited to take home something, whether it is the you know, the the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup, but, but you know, obviously we'd prefer to take the FA Cup. I think we do feel like we we have a claim to that cup because it's such a large part of our history. Um you know, and I, and I do think that yeah, we would love to to take the title, right? I mean, highest we've gotten is what the boys of '86, third place. I mean, that's the highest we've gotten. Um, Harry Redknapp took us to to fifth. You know, Slavin Bilic has taken us to seventh. So I mean, yeah, we've been in the upper echelon randomly, but not with any sense of consistency. So I I do I do get where you're coming from. I almost would rather trade. A higher spot in the league and not be worrying about relegation as opposed to taking home the E-E-L- EFL Cup. But I'll be honest, man, there is something something to be said about taking home some silverware. I mean, hell, we didn't even win the Betway Cup this year. Come on.
0: <laughs> we should. The damn name's on the cross of a front of our kites. Kit. What the hell? All right. I, all right. So obviously we've made it very clear uh how we feel. Uh there's an indictment on David Moyes. Again, the the substitutions, like I uh, <laughs> I, does he forget that he has those? Like, does he like forget that those are available? Like, I feel like if David Moyes on who wants to be a millionaire, he would never use a lifeline and go out at 500 pounds, <laughs> you know, probably. And, and probably. then and then at the, at the end we tell him, Hey man, why didn't you use a lifeline? He goes, what's a lifeline? I don't think he understands what the fuck a substitution is. And I, what the real problem is this, you know, You should have your substitutions ready for whatever the game scenario presents. So if you're down or you're even and you know that you've got an an advantage to attack, in the 60th minute you need to get a guy on so he has an opportunity to get in the flow of the game. David Moyes, the earliest substitution I can remember him putting on so far this season is in the 75th minute.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: really tough for a guy to get a foothold in the game, especially when it takes 10 minutes to get going and then you've really only got five minutes to impact it. And so it's incredibly frustrating on that. And so you look at that game, it's 4-1. I'm saying don't be worried. Uh, You see a little bit more of the flaws. I I chalk it up to they're just Everton is just better than us right now. I'm not saying it's going to be that way, but at this current moment, the way Everton's playing, they are better than us. There's no blueprint on how to beat them. And Chiladi is doing a great job. They've got some phenomenal players on the pitch. Uh, Dominique Calvert-Lewin, who has always been a striker with a lot of potential, I'm hoping it, he's going to run out of form soon, but his potential is definitely coming through right now. Um, and yeah. so it, it's kind of dangerous to watch. So I, I want to ask you this question here. Should we be worried what we saw in that cup game is this, was there flaws exposed in West Ham um, that are going to come bite us in this Leicester game coming up in further league games, or should we just chalk it up to they were better than us?
1: I think we chalk it up to they were better, right? I mean, my concern mostly came from the fact that Everton had to utilize all three of their substitutions due to injury. So, I mean, here they had to, they were forced to make substitutions, not from a tactical standpoint, but from a necessity standpoint. So, I think that we absolutely could have capitalized on those opportunities and we didn't. So, I don't think this is so much a. Uh, you know that the players aren't good enough or anything like that. I think it was our expectations might have been too high because we performed so well against Charlton Athletic and then against Hull, but we seem to forget that those were lower league sides. So yeah, we Everton was always going to be a, a tougher team to play against, even if they weren't, you know, undefeated in, in the league so far this this season. Like we we always knew that Everton was going to be a, a more difficult. Uh, matchup for us. I think that it was mostly we got tactics wrong. And I don't think that this is, um, I don't think this is so much a bad thing, right? Because now we can see what works and what doesn't work. And then other teams are always going to be a little bit concerned when they're building their lineup as to what formation we're going to come out with. Cause yeah, we could come out with the three, four, three, like we did against Wolves. And they've got to prepare for that. They've got to prepare for a more congested midfield. They have to prepare for the overlapping wingbacks, right? Or maybe we go in a more defensive mindset and we do that 4-3-3 like we did against Everton. Which, as you said, it wasn't like we got ran completely off the field. I think that, like we said, Everton was, you know, firing on all cylinders. I think that the first half was very evenly matched. Beginning of the second half was much of the same. And then after that, just Everton, you know, they got they got lucky. And just things things fell into place for them. So I'm not going to be quite as doom and gloom. I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I was pretty pissed off once the game was over because it was just, uh, oh, here we go again. Beat Wolves 4-0, lose to Everton 4-1, like no consistency. But then I really thought about it and was like, but it wasn't the same team. We didn't play against the same team. We didn't even field the same team. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt and just go, look, this is a learning experience for us, for the players, and hopefully for Moyes.
0: And we didn't play the same formation. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, there, there's, there's a lot of things to point out. So I'm glad that we're on the same page there because I'm truly not worried about West Ham. I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's an EFL Cup. Now, if David Moyes doesn't make a substitution in an FA Cup match, I'm going to get way hotter, <laughs> like way hotter. Uh, one thing about European soccer, um, excuse me, European football, one thing about European football that is always hard is all the competitions these guys have to be a part of. You know, if if we ever got into the the Euro League, if we ever got in there, you know, you'd have that EFL Cup, Premier League, and the FA. That's four different leagues. West Ham would have to balance, and you have to expand your squad at that point. And there's there's a lot of things. So right now, where West Ham is, I want us to focus on the domestic cups. And I know that that is a domestic cup. Let's but let me rephrase that. Let's focus on the ones that matter. Um, because I don't know a lot of people that are going to put on their license plate. Oh, I won the EFL cup in 2020. Like I don't think a lot of people are going to say, talk about that. I understand that everybody wants a cup run, but to me, it's a six, it's a, it's the white sixth place ribbon that the YMCA gives out to every kid of the six that ran in the running event. All six get one. And so participation awards. Yeah. And I, I, that's, (laughs) that's my whole point with that. And I, I don't see how that helps us in the transfer market. I don't see how it really adds any class to our club. I understand that we haven't put a trophy in the trophy case since I believe 1980. So I, I totally understand that, but I just don't think that there's any value for us to continue or to get pissed off for us running into a club. Yes. He put out a team that can win. We didn't win. it's not like he mailed it in. So I give moist credit, which is a very rare occurrence. We might want to log this October 1st. At ten <laughs> sixteen p m California time, I gave moist credit. It'll be one of the few times. so leading into that, you look at that side. October fifth is when the transfer deadline is is approaching, and there's an interesting question before you go into these transfer rumors, Liam, we kind of have to look at that cup team and we, and we really have to ask ourselves, who would we sell and who would we keep? Who are we wanting to stick around in the claret and blue, and who are we ready to ship out somewhere else and Uh, I think it's an interesting question because some of these guys, teams are sniffing around and they might be asking, they might even be submitting bids sometime soon. So my question to you, Liam, is you've got a list of players over there. Let's present a couple of players, maybe two or three, maybe even four. And let's discuss, do we want to keep them and why, or do we want to let them go and why?
1: For sure. Okay, so I'll kick it off with Lanzini. So Atalanta have expressed interest in bringing him on board. Uh, This is a player that we've seen Italian teams uh, tee up for in the past, and just uh, they've never quite met the price tag uh, that West Ham is willing to let the player go for, So, uh, which is uh, somewhat understandable. Uh, The next one would be uh, Lazio has expressed interest in uh, Felipe Anderson, uh, which i you know, I know that that's been a team. I think Napoli was the one that expressed interest in the past. Uh, Dynamo Kiev have actually expressed interest in bringing uh, Yarmolenko on. And then Manchin Gladbach has expressed interest in Sebastian Allaire, which would take him, obviously, back to uh, the Bundesliga. So I think with these players, none of that would really surprise anybody. Um, I also don't think that any of these players, there's not a chance in hell that we get the value back for what we paid for them. We're going to take a loss if we let any of these players go right now at this point. But I also wonder how much more of a loss are we going to take if they continue to perform the way that they have been and we hold on to them for another year or two.
0: So let's start with Lanzini. What are your thoughts there, keep or sell?
1: Uh, I mean, I think at this point, uh, I, I think there has been a little bit more of a glimmer this season than what he put on last season. I just don't know if he's ever going to be the player that he was prior to the injury. And I kind of think at this point, I'd almost rather take a chance on either bringing somebody up from the academy or just trying to take what we, what we can get for, for him and try to bring in somebody else that's maybe a little bit younger that maybe we see a little bit more of a potential on him. What about you? I, I, he's a keep. He's 100% yeah. a keep.
0: Um, and the reason why is because he's better than Pablo Fornal's. And um, I think that at some point that's going to come to help us. And I think Lanzini has played better um, in that game uh, against Everton. He had an opportunity with a shot, um, but it was a tough shot. Like people, uh, even the announcers were trying to shit on him. And then when they saw the replay, they go, oh, that was a really tough ball's bouncing away from him. His body's moving the other direction. He was kind of amazing. Even got his foot on the ball. Um, Yeah. So uh, to me, Lanzini's a keep. And the reason he's a keep is because I I do believe this in my heart that he is the most talented player that we possess. And I think given a run and, and allowed to play in the number 10 role, which is where he does his best work, with a guy like Antonio who bullies center backs around kind of like Arnautovic did, I think we're going to get that Lanzini that we had that season with Anatovic and his partner, that was the best Lanzini we'd seen in a long time. And I think that Lanzini's there, but he's got to have that bulldozer to take the pressure off of him to open up the space. You give Lanzini a yard of space, he can do some dangerous things. But when you don't have anybody to threaten, like if Alaire's in front of him, I don't think Lanzini gets the space. And no. that's where the problem rises. So to me, he's clearly a keep. Uh, moving on to the
1: next player, who is it? So uh, Felipe Anderson, I think this one's a must-sell at this point. I don't think that he has been able to add anything to the team last season or so far what we've seen um, for this season. Having a 20 million-plus pound stri- uh, winger that's hanging out, to me, I would have kept Grady D'Angana, and I would have sold Anderson. But, you know, And especially if push comes to shove out of the four of these guys, if we were being told today that we had to sell one of them, to me it's Anderson. What about you?
0: I got to agree. I think he's a sell. Uh, He's a sell a hundred percent and it's not any indictment on his talent. He just doesn't. He's not a West Ham guy. He's not a West Ham player. He doesn't understand our culture. He doesn't understand that the the fans will always be on his back because he looks like he doesn't put in the effort. And Mm -hmm. the one thing of being a West Ham player is you got to put in a shift. And I don't think I'm not saying he doesn't put in shifts. I'm not saying he doesn't go home tired. I'm not saying he doesn't get hurt but the, the point is we've seen the best of what he offers and the team is
1: moving in a different direction and it's not moving in a direction to highlight his skill set. Um, I think and, he's become superfluous since Masuaku's been brought back in. Once Now that we've got Masuaku on the wing, the way that he plays, he offers more for me than what Anderson does.
0: And I think he's a better technical player and let that sink in. I think Arthur Masuaku is a more dangerous technical player than Philippe Anderson. So to me... You're playing the guy that I think is technically better. And there's no point to keep the other guy unless his mentality changes. Because that, that's what it is. He's got the talent to be successful, but he has to go undergo a mentality change. And I think what is he, 27, 28 now? Yeah. I yeah. mean, at, at this point, you're I mean, your brain stops developing at 25, bro. So I don't <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's gonna he's gonna change of what exactly he he is. That we know he is what he is. We've seen it. We got to cut our losses. If we can get $25 million for him, we take it. And we take that $15 million loss, and that's all we can really do. Right.
1: Well, so next up is your boy Yarmo, right? And I think that with Yarmolenko, this one's a toughie for me because I do think when he shines, oh, he fucking shines bright, bro. Like he is just – he's one of those players that he – almost like a Lanzini, right, where he can create something out of nothing, but it's – it's more often than not that he's not doing anything where he's not tracking back. He's not offering much when it comes to, you know, the de- de- the defensive side of the game. He is an out-and-out attacker. Like, I think even playing him on the wing isn't technically his preferred position. For his national team, he's typically deployed as a striker. Now, my other issue with this is he offers to me about the same amount that Allaire does. So if you're kind of looking one for the other, I uh, do you go younger and stick with Alaire and sell Yarmo because he's what, 29? You know, 30? Like are you selling him off because you kind of feel like he's he's past his prime? He's in the twilight years. Let him go to a league where maybe he'll be a little bit more dominant because the competition's not as stiff as in the Premier League. Whereas Alaire, maybe he has a higher ceiling because he's younger and there's like you said you know, up till twenty-five to kind of continue to develop, get to that to that really ideal point. But I don't know. For me, Yarmo's a 50-50. How about for you, Tex?
0: Man, sitting on the fence can't make a decision. Come on, man. It's not even a contest. You keep him. That is a player that you absolutely keep. He has come in and saved us too many times. He has got a he has the most dangerous left foot. Almost in the Premier League, with well, maybe the exception of Aguero's. But I mean, you're looking for Jared at, Bowen. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Bowen's is nice, but Yarmo's is better. Jared Bowen just has something Yarmo doesn't, and that's pace. So, right. really, like to me, Yarmolenko's a guy that you can just put on in the 60th minute and he's going to change a game or he can bring you back. He's proven it before. He scored multiple goals and big moments for West Ham. He's got a little bit of that. I, I mean, He's got a little swagger, man, and I love it. Like, when he scores a goal, he starts talking a little shit. I yeah. absolutely love him. He's a West Ham player. This is what is so strange to me. When I watch him and his mentality and the way he operates out there, um, his mannerisms remind me of Ginger Pele. They yeah, really do. Sure. And we love Ginge because Ginge was a defender, okay? Yeah. And so you didn't have to count on his pace. And this guy's a this guy's a winger or a striker. I mean, honestly, to me, you keep him because he's kind of a hybrid guy. He can play in a striking role in a pinch. He can also play out there. I bet money he'd be a dangerous number 10 if given the opportunity. Yeah. So to me, he's it's without question you keep Yarmo. I think Yarmo's a guy that honestly needs to spend the the next two or three seasons with West Ham United, even if he's not a consistent starter. Because if something happened to Jared Bowen, you can still run everything through the left side and Yarmo can still make plays happen. He just can't get the ball too deep. So as long as he can get it past the midway point, he, I think he can do some things with the football, but there's just been too many times that in my opinion, he's bailed us out. Like without question, I'm not selling him. Even if an offer comes in, that's decent. I would be the guy in the boardroom saying, don't sell. I understand if a decent offer comes in with the state of our club, he's probably gone, but that guy's got to stay. A hundred percent. So bring us, So we got two players left. Who's the next one?
1: No, just one. Just one. So I got. got, No, hold on.
0: I got one for you. That's. Oh, you got one.
1: Okay, okay. So last last one I've got is Alaire. Um, you know, with Munching uh, making, you know, showing interest in him, I'm sure that he would probably be excited to go back to the Bundesliga because obviously he was you know, uh, you know, fairly explosive with, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, but I just, I think this guy's offers too much. Like, I think he has too much potential. Um, you know, I'm not kind of on the flip side. I don't think that he doesn't celebrate goals because he's pissed or that he doesn't care that he scored. I think he doesn't celebrate goals because he's a fucking badass. I think he's just that dude. That's just like, yeah, I scored. It's my fucking job. So what? Like, I literally think that that's what goes on in his head when he scores a goal, which is why you don't see him do like the big, uh, you know, like celebration knee knee slide go nuts. I think he's just that dude. That's like, hey, this is my job. This is what I'm here to fucking do. And to me, I wouldn't sell him, man. I think that you invested a lot of money in this guy. We've seen flashes. And as we said before, like, yeah, you get this guy's service and he's going to put it in the back of the net. I just don't think that he's being given that opportunity. And I don't think this is even a bring him on in the 60th minute. I think this is a start him with Antonio up top. You know what I mean? And maybe play Bowen in that number 10 role or you you play Bowen... And this is probably not his ideal situation but if you play him as the right wing back right and then you put Lanzini in that number 10 so Lanzini can feed the ball up to Anderson and Alaire I just think there's so much potential you just have to find a system that that you can deploy him effectively and I don't I don't think Moyes has figured that out yet
0: correction you meant Antonio and Alaire you said Anderson and I don't think oh, anybody yeah, wants oh yeah fuck Anderson no 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 Antonio uh, and Alaire all right I, I This is an interesting thing for me as well. Um, This is the one I've gone back and forth on ever since we brought it up in the pre production meeting. Uh, I'm going to tell you everything that you said. I couldn't agree with you more, but you sell him. Yeah. Try to get that money back. And it's not even trying to get that money back. The team is moving in a different direction. It's where we're we're going for a different identity. He doesn't fit into Moyes' plans. It's very clear. If Moyes rated him, he would be on the pitch. He's not. Um, So it's kind of, I've always had this thing. And this is, this is something I had to accept, and I learned this through the Dimitri Payet saga. If a player doesn't want to play for you, fuck them. Let them go. Don't keep yeah, them around. Yeah. It's bad. Let them go. Get rid of them. Sell them for what you can sell them for. Get them off the books. Get them away from the club and move on. Cut your losses. It's kind of the same concept, I believe, when the manager doesn't rate a player. When the manager is not going to play you, And you are, I mean, it's like I told you, I said it earlier. I do believe he is the better center forward between him and Antonio. The problem is Antonio is just a better player. So, and I know that doesn't make sense. I'll try to explain what I'm saying. Antonio can do more things, which makes him a better player. Whereas in Sebastian, how has to have a certain system to be the better player. And we're not playing right. that system and we're not, we're not operating that way. So to me, as much as I want him to get a run, I want us to go two strikers. I don't believe that it's going to happen. I'm not living in the fairy tale land that David Moyes is going to play two strikers. I stopped subscribing to that three years ago and I saved my three ninety nine a month. You know, it's just, he's just not <laughs> yeah. going to fucking do it. And so as far as I'm concerned, you sell him. I understand everything that you said, and I agree with it, but you sell him. And the reason you sell him is because he does not have a place in the team. Who do you take out to put him on? There's not a player that I think should come off to get Allaire on. You know, that's my point. Unless you're going to change the formation, which I don't think we do, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, because I think we found the formation that works for this team the best, because when you dominate a team like Wolves the way we did – it's kind of over for Sebastian Allaire. He was not bought by this administration. He was not um, our manager's choice player. He wasn't the board didn't want him. This was a player chosen from the previous regime. And the previous regime had plans to move in a forward direction with him under Pellegrini and Housulos, and they're gone now. And so he is a player that was acquired And he's not the manager's player. You see this happen in the NFL all the time over here in America. When a new coach comes in with a new GM and a new philosophy, a former MVP like Cam Newton gets cut from the team and they they move on from him. It's the same concept here. Doesn't matter that he is our record-breaking signing. It doesn't matter. He doesn't fit into the manager's plans. You have to let him go. But I want to make it clear Liam I'm not shitting on you cuz I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I just no, no, don't no. think he has a place in the team and I'm trying to be real about it.
1: Yeah, no, you're honestly man you're 100% right on what you're saying. And it, it it's almost me having to um kind of pull back on what I was saying just because there is this idea that you know, if we're gonna move forward and we're gonna to try to play a team that plays a system that is understandable, that everybody knows exactly what their role is in that system, then yeah, you do probably have to get rid of some of those pieces that just they no longer fit. And I think Anderson and Alaire might be those pieces that don't fit anymore, whereas with Yarmo can still get plugged in and change the shape of a game. I think for me, if I'm if I'm doing. You know, selling two out of the four of them and it's Lanzini versus Anderson. I'm keeping Lanzini, I'm selling Anderson. If it's Yarmo versus Alaire, yeah, I'm probably keeping Yarmo and I'm ditching Alaire. So I think probably at that regard, we probably are pretty much on the same page with it. I don't know if we'll actually sell any of these players because, you know, as as of this recording, we've got four days left in the transfer market. Yeah, we'll definitely So who's have- your fifth guy, Tex? Who's your fifth guy? So the
0: I just want to make it very clear that I have convinced you, so I should be running for president of the United States because I have brought you over to my side. <laughs> I just want to make that
1: clear. That's um, a, you're very convincing. You're very, very convincing. <laughs> the
0: last player is this, and this is obviously the one. I think both of our answers are the same, but I think it, it has to be discussed because we know it's a possibility. In the next four days, the rumors are out there, but I'm bringing up Declan Rice. We all know oh, what Chelsea. We all know Chelsea what they're saying. We know that West Ham has said that there's zero chance. But we've all heard the vote of confidence before for a lot of different things. Oh, we'll never do this. We'll never do that. And then sure as shit, they do it. So I'm going to approach it this way. This is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to frame it to you. Okay. If Declan Rice is sold for an absorbent amount of money, I'm just going to throw a random number out there. I'm going to call it 70 million. I know that we want 80. And I know that they've offered 60. That's why I'm saying 70. But if he's sold for 70 million and you know that West Ham United have enough time to take that 70 million and turn it into bringing in players before the end of this window, do you sell Declan Rice or do you not with the caveat that the players we bring in will strengthen the club? I'm not going to say by how much but they will strengthen the club. That's the caveat I'm putting in because this is the the reality every West Ham fan needs to remember. And I'm going to prove it to you this way. Nobody shit on me, and uh, you know what shit on me. I'm fine because this is a great example. (laughs) When Tottenham sold Gareth Bale, for at the time, was a world record fee, that team and who they bought after that made them a perennial top four mainstay. So I want everybody to remember that. They sold their best player ever. Now, yes, I know they just got him back, but they sold their best player ever, and they received all that. So under those circumstances, and I'm going to let you go first, do you sell or do you keep Declan Rice?
1: So I keep him, and I tell you why. Because you look at us, like a team like Tottenham, right? And I want to say it was Pochettino that was the manager in charge when they let Gareth Bale go. And then you had, was it Daniel Levy was the uh, is the owner for Tottenham? He's a little bit more financially savvy than our owners. So I would say, and I know your caveat is that we do bring in players that strengthen the squad regardless of where that strength actually comes from, but I don't feel like the money will ultimately be well spent when it comes to our board. I think that they are fairly stupid when it comes to what they're willing to pay for what players. And I think that even though maybe the people they bring in, it still won't be the impact and the value that a Declan Rice brings to this club. I think with Declan Rice, like, yeah, maybe you get 70 million pounds, right? Fuck it. So call it 80 million pounds. This kid is going to be a 100 million pound player in the next two years. Easy, easy money. This kid only has improved year over year. We have not seen that backslide like we've seen with Lanzini, with Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, this is a player that, you know, if we let him go now, this is like a Rio Ferdinand right? Like if we let him go now, these, this is that, that type of player that we only see them improve at the next club that they go to. And we look at it and go, wow, we could have seen that improvement had we kept him here. And I don't want to be known as a selling club. I don't, I don't want to be that we only keep players up to, you know, the point where they start looking attractive to other clubs. And then we let the other club benefit from the time and the effort that we put into this player, especially fucking Chelsea, and here's my caveat. You want to sell them to another team? Don't sell them to another London team. Because Chelsea, of all teams, this is a, t- this is a, a club that gave up on this kid at, what, 14 years old? And he came to West Ham. So when, when we beat Chelsea last season at Stamford Bridge, watch that video of Declan and how much it meant to him to beat Chelsea at home. I think deep down, people keep saying like, oh, he wants to go, he wants to go, he wants to go. Yeah, it was his boyhood club. It's his father's club. You know, he's talked about how uh, Didier Drogba is like his iconic player, right? But he loves West Ham. He is a West Ham player through and through. This could be the next Billy Bonds. This could be the next Bobby Moore. If we let him go now, we're fucking shooting ourselves in the foot. This is like letting Frank Lampard Jr. go when we didn't keep Billy Billy Bonds as a manager. Surely
0: we would have never done, oh, wait, we did.
1: Oh yeah, we fucking did. So that th- that's what I'm saying. This is absolutely one of those could be one of the greatest players in this in this generation. We cannot let him go for any price.
0: I cannot disagree with anything you said yet again. Okay. So I I, I credit to you. But credit to you. But I'm gonna tell you right now, and I, I back what I'm gonna say. If we get 70 million, and I know for a fact we're gonna bring in three players that are gonna improve the club. You got to let him go. And the reason you got to let him go is because what's more important, the badge or the player. And to me, we have to, we have to worry about the badge first. Sometimes you have to make decisions that are incredibly tough because I'm with you. We don't let him go. He is sentimental. He's going to be a West Ham legend. Um, I'm going to quote ex-West Ham employee. The first time I heard Declan Rice's name, he's the one that said Declan Rice is going to be a captain for this club and now he's captained the club a couple different times and when i guarantee you he will become the captain once mark noble retires if he's still wearing the claret and blue but this is the one thing i have to make very clear my preference is to not sell him but before my preference i worry about the club and if i know we can improve the club with that funds then i sell and i will be the unpopular of pr- uh, person there but I'll tell you right now, Tottenham fans shit on Tottenham for selling Gareth Bale. They shit on him. But do you think they would honestly change that? Because they were a perennial power. They are they have been better since he left than what they are now. And it pains me because Tottenham is our rival. I don't want any I don't wish anything good about them. I hope they wake up every morning and step and cat shit because they're not cool enough to own dogs. Okay. <laughs> that that's that's just what I believe but I think we have to be real about the situation. If an absorbent amount of money comes in and we have enough time to turn that into assets, then we do it. The problem is it's October 1st. I don't know. And the way, the way David Sullivan moves, we won't get deals done in time.
1: So, no, for sure. And, and it's tough too, right? Cause I look at it and I go, I would sell all four of the other players we talked about before I would sell Declan Rice. Because if you've got Lanzini, Anderson, Yarmo, and Alaire, you'll probably net 60 to 70 million pounds between the four of them, anyways. So I would rather keep Declan, sell the other four, even if I only make 40 to 50 million pounds. It's still going to free up four spots on the squad that we can still strengthen it and we can still spend money in a in a good way to benefit the squad and we get to maintain Declan Rice. What about you? Would you trade the other four to still keep Declan if the, if the money going out was going to be the same? I mean, look, there, there's
0: no questioning that you retain Declan Rice at all costs as long as you can. There's no questioning that. I don't think giving up those four players would be beneficial to the club because I think it creates... I mean, you're you're talking about three wingers being let go, and we already sold we already sold Grady D in Ghana. So I, I don't like getting that thin on the wing and then having to count on Pablo for makes me want to puke on my tits. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm just telling you right now, I, you you you're, I want to make it clear. You are correct. You do not sell a player like Declan Rice. if you don't have to, but I wonder if we, if we need to, that that's, yeah. that's the question I'm presenting. Um, Well, that kind of brings us more towards the end of the show here. So we're going to go ahead and start. uh, We're going to give you your match preview right now. Obviously, it's a big game coming up uh, this Sunday, October 4th, when we take on Leicester City. Leicester looks incredibly good. They dropped five goals at the Etihad on Manchester City. Um, and at no point did Manchester City look like they had an answer once Leicester started rolling. I think Jamie Vardy had a couple of penalty kicks that he made, and they had three penalties on the day. Three penalties, yeah. Uh, so uh, obviously, you take those penalties away. I still think they 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 probably win that game. Um, even without the three penalties, because they did look just like the better team uh, going forward, they they had them figured out. Pep Guardiola looked lost on the sideline. Which, if you've never seen Pep lost, it is a, a, a beautiful sign. I highly recommend you YouTube that. <laughs> um, him and his dumbass sweaters looked like he didn't know what to do. Um, so we're looking at this game against Leicester. They're on form. Are uh, the team we're going to put out? I hope that we put out. They're on form. So really, uh, my question to you is, um, what is your prediction on this game? Um, we're back at home um, at Leicester City. Um, excuse me. We're back at home at the London Stadium taking on Leicester City.
1: So who do you have? Um, so for me, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pretty much keep it to the same squad as what we actually ran out against, uh, against Wolves. Uh, the only changes I would make, because obviously Fredericks uh, is injured, uh, he's probably going to be out for a couple weeks here. I don't play Ben Johnson. If uh, uh, Vladimir Kufal, uh, which is it looks like the transfer for about five million pounds, is going to happen from uh, uh, the same club that we got Thomas Suchek from from Slavia Prague, uh, and this was actually confirmed by Slavia Prague's owner that he was coming to London today for a uh, for a physical. Uh, if he's if he's mustered and he's able to get put in, I put him immediately in because especially if he's going to be on that right hand side and he'll be able to kind of team up with Suchek, I think that that's already going to be a dynamic pairing because then you've got Rice and Masuaku kind of. Uh, pigeoning out that left-hand side. So I think that he slots right in. He can play as a right back. He can play as a right wing back. He's supposed to be dynamic, and he's supposed to have pace. So I think that he actually gives us everything that Ryan Fredericks gives, but with probably a better partnership uh, Partnership with Suchek. Uh, the only change I'm going to make is I'm going to pull out Fornals. So and I'm going to put Lanzini in because I actually do think that he played really well against Everton. Uh, And I think that when you look at the whole game as well, I think he was back into his flashy self. (laughs) Look at you celebrating. He was back into his flashy self. And I think that he at least deserves the run out. Now, how do you change that? I do not put Lanzini on the wing. Um, I actually put him in the center of the field. So we play a three, five, two, and he's the central attacking midfielder with Bowen and Antonio playing a a right and a left striker, uh, respectively. How about for you? Uh,
0: I, I look at this match, and I, I think it, it comes down to one thing. It comes down to work rate. I think we match up with them fairly well. I think they do have the better players in certain areas. Um, but I think that the, gap, the talent gap isn't that massive. I think their back line is more vulnerable than people think it is. And yep. so I really want to see us run at them, and I think it's going to be a tough game for us. I think it'll be tough for us to get a win. Cause I do think Lester is a very good team. I know that they, when they came back after the uh, COVID break, uh, last at the end of last season, uh, they had lost a lot of form, but it looks like, uh, Brendan Rodgers has found a way to get that back. Um, I bring, I roll out the exact same lineup. Obviously you can't run out Ryan Fredericks cause he's injured. So I would like to see Ben Johnson because I don't believe that this signing everybody's talking about is going to be that good. I think everything sounds good. It's like watching an infomercial at night. If you call now, <laughs> we'll send, we'll double the order, but I, I just don't, I don't buy this guy. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a, a, to appease. I think he's more for cover than to actually start. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that that signing will be another, not as bad as Jordan Hugel, but I don't think he's going to impact the squad that all, I think we've got Ben Johnson. I think we need to keep running him out there. And I think Ben Johnson needs to make some mistakes and learn because he is the future right back for West Ham United. Um, when I look at this game, uh, I'm going to go the score line. I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, I'm going to go 2-1. I'm going to think we're going to take a loss. Um, I think we get a goal, and I think that goal does come from Mikael Antonio because I think he will outwork those center backs and find, get on the end of something. Um, but I, I think Jamie Vardy's on form right now, and I think he gets a goal, and I think they get another goal from some other fucker that I don't even want to talk about. Um, but I think we go down 2-1 in a hard-fought game. I just think Lester is a, is better than us right now, and that's just me being 100% honest. Man of the match, even though we lost, I'm going man of the match is Mikel Antonio. I think he outworks him.
1: Gotcha. Um, I think we actually take this game 3-2. Uh, I think that Bowen stays on form, scores a goal. I think Antonio gets a goal as well. And then I'm actually going to peg one for Agbana on a set piece. I think that he gets his big, beautiful head on the end of the ball and he knocks that into the back of the net. My man of the match is going to be Antonio. I think he works his ass off again. I think he plays a part in either getting the corner uh, for Ogbana's goal, scores one himself and then probably sets up uh, Bowen as well. I think they actually trade off. They set up for one another. So uh, I, I really think that we have the opportunity to take this. I think we've learned from the Everton game and we'll play like we did against Wolves. We'll come out with a lot of heart, a lot of fight, and we'll be ready to take it.
0: Yeah, I love your optimism, but I'm so <laughs> pessimistic. Uh, okay, so here we go. It's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. It's the yellow and red cards. Hit me with your yellow.
1: Yellow card, I'm going to give it to the pundits, especially the two Robbies. So I sat through their entire hour-long video podcast bullshit, and they spent exactly 47 seconds talking about the West Ham game, in which they mostly talked about how the Portuguese national team, a.k.a. Wolves, was just not on form and it was not their day. So instead of praising West Ham and talking about all the good things that occurred in that game, they decided to instead center the conversation around Wolves. Now, keep in consideration, they spent almost 20 fucking minutes talking about that Manchester United uh, Lester game, which granted was an interesting game, right? Did not warrant almost 20 minutes of dialogue on it and I'm tired of pundits putting West Ham in the fucking corner. Nobody puts Baby in the corner. How about for you on a yellow card?
0: Uh it's it's simple on the yellow card. Um I'm not going to call out the actual pundits. I'm going to call out West Ham media outlets. Um not all of them. I'm not going to name some uh <laughs> because we're not big enough right now in order to uh I don't want to piss off too many people, but I'm going to tell you right now, my god, don't shit like the world is not ending cuz we lost that game to Everton 4-1. Like at yeah. some point you have to be smart enough and yes, this is a call out to look at the form Everton played with and not think that Everton is the Everton of old. This is a different Everton. Ancelotti's really got this team going. They have James Rodriguez on the team. Calvert-Lewin is scoring goals for front. No matter what anybody says about Richardson, the guy is a fucking player. Like yeah. he can he can he can run with anybody. Um, I'm just going to tell you that right now that's where my yellow card lies because I want us not to be Arsenal fan TV. I am sick and tired of the doom and gloom after one bad game. We have played relatively well. We had a phenomenal performance against Wolves. We have to recognize that. And we have to recognize that, yes, we're not on Everton's level right now. Do I like losing 4-1? No, but did we have our best team out on the pitch? No, we did not.
1: So, come on, then, blood. Come on, fam. You don't well, like Arsenal TV, fam? Come on, blood. Come on, fam.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they put out a much stronger team than we did. Okay. They had Thomas Rodriguez playing. They had Richardson playing. We didn't put out our best 11, and they beat us 4 no. 1. That's how it should go. They obviously value this cup, so let them have it. Okay. It's cute. Oh, you got an EFL cup. I don't think they're going to win another trophy outside of that. Who's your red card?
1: <laughs> Fair play. Red play. Red card's got to go to the handball rule. Fucking figure it out, F.A. This is bullshit. You've got the same the same style of play happening all the time where the ball is being not purposely handled in the box where it's bouncing off somebody's arm. If you are either going to call it as you see it where it's, you know, ball to arm, ball to hand, what have you, and you're going to call it a penalty, then call it a penalty the same way every time. But you cannot pick and choose when you want to execute the rule to the letter of the law because you are only allowing the same teams that benefited before VAR to continue to benefit again and again and again. So red card to UFA, fucking figure your shit out, sort it out, mate. Whew, coming strong
0: with it. Um, My red card's simple this week. It's back to David Moyes. You just stay (laughs) at home. Take care of your COVID. When you're not there, I feel like we play better. So red card to you, David Boys, Just stay at home. Now, it's not that he did anything wrong either. I just want to give him a red card because we all know how I feel about him. Okay. That brings us to the end part of our show. We want to thank everybody for listening. Special thank you to American hammers network. Also Tim and Lee for providing this platform for us to speak to you on all things West Ham United. Again, if you want to get involved at the show, hit us on Twitter at, at AHR radio, American hammers radio, or you can hit us through the Facebook American hammers network. Also, if you want to just call out the Fresno irons because you like our style or you just think we smell bad, you can always hit us on Twitter, Um, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at Fresno Irons. So uh, please reach out, get involved with the show at any point that you want. Also, a little PSA moment for you here. If any of you are struggling or you ever feel that uh, there's no one to talk to and you start to have those thoughts that are suicidal in your life, always know there's somebody there to be there for you, especially here in the United States. Our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, this is a cause very close to the Fresno Irons family. Again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. And remember, if you're listening to this, we are here for you. Feel free to reach out. We are here for anybody that bleeds the Claret and blue. And even if you don't, we're here for you as well. Um, please, uh, think, want to say thank you again to Liam for joining us. Obviously we all know that Liam is what makes this show work. I'm just here. Ah. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, Liam, we got an early one this weekend out here in the the West coast time, Sunday morning, 4 a.m. Uh, doesn't, doesn't matter how early the Fresno irons are having a house party. So if you will find yourself in the lovely central Valley of California in the subpar city of Fresno, California, please feel free to reach out to the Fresno Irons for directions. We'd love to have you. Uh, We'll be drinking whiskey, drinking beer, wearing our mask, social distancing to the best of our ability, watching West Ham United take on Leicester City. Once again, thank you for listening. This is the American Hammers Radio. Liam, come come on you Irons. irons.